Welcome to Conflict Managed. I'm your host, Mary Brown. How do we free people to be the brilliant selves at work? For one, we need to make sure their most pressing needs are addressed. For working parents of young children, foremost on the mind is quality and affordable daycare. Have you ever had issues with daycare? Today in Conflict Managed, Marsh Nadu talks to us of her journey so far of being a working mom raising a child with special needs. She's the founder and host of Raising Kaylin, a podcast to empower and educate parents raising children with disabilities and developmental delays. Listen as Marsh recounts a wonderful work environment she calls the golden moment and the importance of being transparent with workers about pay and career paths within organizations. Marsh Nadu is a physical therapist with 25 years of experience. She's a graduate of the University of KwaZulu in South Africa and was recruited as a travel physical therapist to the U.S. in 1997, where she worked in a variety of clinical settings. She's a board member of Healing Horses, Inc., a PATH-certified therapeutic horsemanship center in Dyersburg, Tennessee, a member of the American Physical Therapy Association and the American Business Women's Association. In March 2020, Marsh founded Teletherapy Services, a hybrid boutique physical therapy service that offers in-person or virtual care. Marsh founded Raising Kaylin Inc., a nonprofit that provides a digital platform to empower and educate parents raising children with developmental delays or disabilities. She's also the author of the book, What I Wish I Knew Back Then. Hello, Marsh. Welcome to Conflict Managed. We're so glad you're here. Hi, Mary. This is awesome seeing you again. And uh, I just look forward to chatting with you today on your podcast. So glad you're here. I thought we could go ahead and start um, with you telling us about your work history. Um, Mary, I am a trained physical therapist. I graduated actually from the University of uh, Durban-Westville, which is a university that's located in South Africa. And um, I was recruited to come to the States as a travel physical therapist in 97, many moons ago. I worked for a travel therapist for about three to four years, took on my first permanent job at um, the Regional Medical Center, which is commonly known as the MED. It's a level one trauma center. I worked there for about five years, moved on to Baptist East, Um, And then um, I was actually on holiday visiting my folks in South Africa, boy meets girl, met my husband. (laughs) Um, And honestly, uh, he did not actually have any desire to, to, at that time, to relocate to the States. And, you know, my parents were aging, so I, I wanted to be there with them. So um, we lived in South Africa from about, say, 2009 to about 2014. Uh, my son, our son, Kellen, was born in 2012. As you can tell from my smile, the love of our life, um, Kellen was actually born at 26 weeks, Mary. Uh, for the first 14 months, we did or I did with some of my training um, sense that 
there were a few things amiss. An MRI revealed that he had a diagnosis of cerebral palsy. And from there on, honestly, it was a race to try and get him the best possible uh, help. And when I say race, I now kind of smile as well because I, I realize it's anything but a race. It's more a marathon. It's, it's just not a sprint. So in 20, I'll just add, um, when I left the States, I was actually, you know, I, I was an American citizen, so and so was Kieran by virtue of his birth. And um, I just decided to explore the uh, option of returning to the States. There was a practice I'd worked with formerly in the States that was very much interested in me returning uh, in a capacity to work for them as a full-time therapist. And to be honest, I was excited as well because that would have afforded me uh, medical or health insurance. And um, so needless to say, that, 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 that was a difficult transition, Mary, because Prakash did not have, for example, he was not naturalized. So he didn't have any paperwork, including his green card or anything of along those lines and you know we folks that want to try and do things right as as best as possible even though it was difficult i i moved with kelly to the states prakash remained in south africa and over that 18 month or so process uh, the, the decision was made that this is where we needed to be at for our family and uh prakash started his immigration process and uh uh, moved to the States. And so that was like in 2014, 2016, that happened. And now we've been here since then. So about eight years in total. Gosh, I don't remember where I started at. But anyway, that's, and, and the reason I talk of Kellen honestly is because as a mom, uh, as parents raising our child with special needs or raising our child with disability, whatever language uh, you as a parent might be comfortable using. It has not always been an easy process. And to be honest, at times it has been downright difficult. However, uh, through pre-existing relationships, uh, folks coming to our lives that provided a support system, um, we, it has made an easier time uh, navigating through. And with that support system, we were able to support Kellen to be his best possible self, to help him not just survive, but to help him thrive and work towards independence. Well, that's really beautiful, this idea of support, that we all need support. It doesn't matter whether or not um, we have special needs or disabilities. All of us need support. We support one another in the good times and the bad times. And uh, I love that, that picture of support so that it's not just about living, but we all want to thrive. We all want to have the best possible lives that we can have. So when uh, you had Kellen prematurely, were you working at that time? Actually, yes, I was working as a physical therapist. Now, this was in South Africa. I've always kind of what um so yes i was working at that time and uh as i said kellen was born prematurely at 26 weeks um i obviously 
got into trouble a little bit earlier than that, had to go on to straight bed rest and was not able to carry through to full term. And um, so his birth was followed by a three month NICU stay. And uh, the, the support was even, I mean, obviously available at that time, just not from a physiological sense, but also that psychological sense as any mom that is in flight or fight, knowing that it's my child going to survive or not. So <laughs> I still kind of just get, because it really is. And I think a lot of times when we talk to a parent, we need to have that kind of empathy. So it's, and it's, and I do want to clarify that Mary, that it is not sympathy. It is actually empathy and Absolutely. compassion. Yes, empathy and compassion. So when you went on bread rest, did you, how did your work react? Were they supportive? Well, to be honest, at that point, it, there was no negotiation at, at that, around that aspect, because it was something mandated by the uh, medical professional involved in making that decision. Um, and I mean, that was just it. So, I mean, uh, that was just at that need at that time and uh, with that rest, knowing that the mother, child, you know, that that health status, um, th there was no negotiation around that period. So, um, yeah, so that was it. And before you moved back to the States after he was born, that move, how supportive was your new workplace being just you and your child who needed a lot of care? You both needed a lot of care because you're here without your spouse and you're supporting your child and you're back, even though you worked here before in a new environment. How did, um, how did it go at this place of employment? Um, you know, I would, I would always give a shout out to that particular boss because he clearly understood that this might not be a perfect situation, so to speak, because there were going to be instances where this employee would have to be obviously away. Uh, she did not have a support system around her. So if uh, my child was sick, then I would not be able to work, period. So I, I know that, you know, and obviously I would, I'm a physical therapist, so, and working in an outpatient setting, your patients are already pre-scheduled, just not one day in advance. I'm talking about weeks in advance. So, you know, I mean, I'm just really fortunate that Kellen's health really uh, was good to the point I did not have to be off or take off as often too often and um, but I also want to say that as a mom trying to find daycare is very very challenging whether your child has special needs or not first off I'm very appreciative of our early childhood educators and I think we need to give, we owe these early childhood educators a lot, Mary, and they are often undervalued. And I cannot see in 
there's just no rhyme or reason to it. Why are we not valuing our early childhood educators that hold the most precious human resource that we could ever think of in their hands and are taking care of them for the first five years of their lives when their best growth and development happen? Why are we not taking better care of them? Um, so that, that's a whole side story, but I was fortunate enough to just a little sideline. So I thought I had my childcare set up and uh, the weekend that I was about to start off work, the lady actually called me back and said, ma'am, I just can't do it. I don't have the skill set to take care of your child. I mean, I'm afraid to, which I respect and understand because it is a daunting, it, it is daunting, especially if you don't have that that prior experience. And I, these are air quotes because I'm not, I mean, as a single mom, so to speak, in that specific situation at that period of time, I was up the creek. And a, um, I was fortunate that a dear friend of mine, there was actually a PT tech at that time, I reached out to her. And um, you know, she was able to contact a family member that was a registered nurse that helped me out of the bind by keeping Kellen for about two to three months until I was able to locate adequate and proper childcare for him that was actually in home. And um, with our kids in Tennessee, we are really fortunate to have early intervention providers come out to the home between zero and three. And then our kids transfer onto um, preschool. And that actually happens at year four. And I think recently as well, Mary, uh, early intervention actually happens between zero to four. I think as of last year, that change was made. So uh, I'm very grateful for those support services that was provided. But uh, I had a boss that Honestly, we may have had our ups and downs, but he he really worked with me. He understood that uh, Kellen needed his mom, and I'm very fortunate and grateful for that. But we do we, we we do need better resources. I mean, we are expecting our our woman to go out there and be um, I mean breadwinners or hold down these jobs when we are not providing them with the proper supports of somebody that's adequately taking care of their kids. I mean, that, that's not going to work. I mean, are you going to work seriously and be 100% effective in your job if you're worrying about, has my kid's diaper been changed? Right. I mean, you're not. I mean, you are, your head's not going to be in the game. I, I just think, yeah, we need to do a better job with our early childhood educators provide that specialized child care for those kids that might be at risk and um, just do better with that. You know, I really like you highlighting that uh, the boss, this boss took you on knowing that you had, as you said, lot less than optimal circumstances. And I would say that's all of us, right? It's not an organization's job to say, this is the perfect, the perfect person, quote unquote, is the one that has no extenuating circumstances outside of work and can spend 100% time at work. Actually, I think that's bad, right? We all have families. We all have um, difficulties. We all have challenges. And, and we want everyone to be gainfully employed. 
in those professions that they're trained in those professions that they have passions um, that they're passionate about. And so the more that we can open our minds as employers as to whether or not somebody is asking for the job and they're qualified, that the employer is not somebody who's supposed to be saying, oh, well, I don't think, you know, this person, uh, this person's home life is not what I want it to be. And so I'm not going to hire them. But to be open-minded like this person was to give you a chance to be the brilliant person that you are. And of course, as you said, being brilliant at work means having the most important things taken care of, which are our family. Whether we're dealing with small children or elder care, as you said before, you know, we and women, <laughs> of course, the brunt of the psychological work of raising families is typically on women, not all women, but typically. And so if we want to free women to be their best selves at work, we need to make sure that we have the right services to make sure that the family is taken care of in all its facets. Absolutely. I mean, that's just a... Uh... <sighs> That's how we build our communities and that's how we build strong communities. So when you think about your work life, is there a particular instance or person or organization that you work that you worked for that stands out to you as being the best or really good? Uh, really good. Well, let me think about this. I would have to say I don't think it was necessarily the institution that was good because it wasn't. <laughs> but I think the team was outstanding and that strength of that team, we were all aligned. We knew what it is we needed to do. I mean, this was a team that worked under extremely, extremely a highly pressurized system. I mean, there was no leeway. There was no resources. I mean, it was bare bones. There, there was a continuous fight to get even the basic stuff in there to, to help us provide the service that needed to be provided. However, as I said, that team was fully aligned. Um, people had your back. They knew that, you know what, she needs help or he needs help. Let's go ahead and get this done because we're here serving our patients. And that was just a golden moment. I just, you know, I actually spoke to one of the therapists. I mean, and we still, up to this day, we still reconnect. I consulted one of the OTs I worked with actually this, this past week regarding another case that I, I knew she would be the best person to, to help with. And um, I'm like, do you remember the days? And actually, I, I mean, I, I don't mind saying because it's nothing uh, it was actually the regional medical center. And um, I just, I'm like, have you ever worked before in a place like this? And she said, no, the, this place just fulfilled us. I mean, it was hard work, but it was fulfilling work. And I, you know, we may not have impacted social change, perhaps like the way we thought we could, but at the end of that day, we gave that patient the best level of care that we, we could give. Uh, our hands were tied away by rules and regulations, uh, insurance payers telling us that this patient has this limitation or this is what they have available. There was none of that. So 
healthcare providers were allowed to be what they were trained to do and that's perform healthcare. And, um, you know, just upon that reflection, I mean, how I'm looking at my own career, have, how have we gotten so far away from that? How have, yeah. how have we disintegrated? How have we completely removed ourselves of fulfilling the, just fulfilling that job in, in that way? And, um, and just really interesting. I mentioned that it was a high pressurized work environment, yet we really had burnout at that moment in time. And I reflect now, like, like say for example, two years ago as front care health, uh, frontline healthcare workers, and I and I look at I look at colleagues and I look at myself and I and you know, you just kind of contemplate and you introspect. Why I th why are things different? So I think I think that's something we all need to ask ourselves. And absolutely, um, yeah. This golden moment that you spoke about, I could just see it. You know, when you are with people who are like minded and on mission and focused, and everybody is there because they see the good, they know the good and you're working in this efficient team, even as you said, with lack of resources and all of the pressure, it was a beautiful thing, right? Everyone together, pulling together. And it's that glimmer of what we can be when we really give ourselves to each other, when we trust each other and we're freed to do the thing that we know needs to be done. We're not held back by you know, the bottom line or somebody's ego or some rule by somebody who's not even around, but everybody who is competent, knowing what they're supposed to be doing and encouraging one another. Don't we all want that? I think, um, you know, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, I've had a 25 going on 26 career and that that was a golden moment for those five years. As I said, it's uh, it, and, and I mean, I, I often think about it because as I've, I've, set, I've started my, my own PT practice now and I, I'm trying to go back and I'm trying to, I'm trying to pull those feelings and articulate it down and actually put pen to paper and, and one, what, were the, what were the motivations? What were the, the feelings and the emotions around that time? What were the personalities of the, the people? What, what, you know, just to kind of figure that out. I mean, what, what made that magic team magical? Yeah. And have you come to any conclusions? Have you figured it out? <laughs> no, that's why I'm still <laughs> a solo practice. <laughs> well, when you... I, I'm still going to be solo until I figure that out. Because... <laughs> that's your second book, right? <laughs> that's my second book. Oh, no. So on the other side, a lot of times we can learn from experiences that weren't so glorious, things that were really difficult for us. Obviously, we can, um, difficulty is a teacher for us. So have you had negative encounters at work or with individuals or organizations that were difficult for you? I think the one, one big issue that has come up for me has been that of, um, transparency and trust within the work environment. I think that that right there 
has been the biggest thing. Um, so if I had to kind of break it down within that transparency circle, I think transparency in terms of pay um, is important. I mean, if pay is going to be linked to performance, um, there needs to be carried through on that. Um, pay, uh, so, so that, that goes over the, that financial piece. Um, the other thing I think would also be transparency in terms of what are my career opportunities and what is my growth within the company? What do you see my role as being? And just don't get me into the place, but actually work to keep me in the place. So it's not about hiring, it's about retention. Mm -hmm. And if you have highly skilled folks or, or any folk, anyone for that matter, that has that those qualities, you need to invest in that individual. You need to help them grow because that's just the right thing to do. And so I think that right there, if there isn't that transparency, then honestly, there isn't that trust. And if there isn't that trust, then I'm not gonna hang around. Um, that's it. That, that would be the biggest um, deal breaker in air codes for me, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When you don't trust the organization that you work for, once you've realized that and you've said, okay, this is the problem. I don't trust these people. They don't care about me. They're not being honest. They're not investing in me. Then if you have options and most of us do have options, even if we don't realize it, that you know, some people will stay because they think they don't have options, but when they're pushed, you can start looking around, especially today um, and find something. Even if you're not mobile, there are other opportunities. And so beyond just trying to retain people, it's the right way to treat people, right? How do we, do we really want people staying in our organizations that haven't developed and haven't grown and we haven't invested in them? It seems like we, the opposite, right? We, we want people to grow and then have places for them to grow into. So our organizations would be bigger and stronger and resilient because we've, we've invested in the people uh, to be that way. Absolutely, Mary. I just, yeah, I just think that career pathways, though, that, that's just really essential within the, and you know what, I think, be again, this is leading back to that transparency place. If you are a smaller business that doesn't have those pathways, I mean, be honest about it. I mean, there is absolutely nothing for a person serving a season of their working life in your company, helping your company grow. But if you don't have room or opportunity for them to better themselves financially or to grow professionally, then have the grace to let them know so that they can make the decision so that you are not stunting someone's growth. That to me is the biggest crime. When you purposefully try and hold somebody back and not already a block to them reaching their potential. This is just like a side note story. There is a 
extremely bright, young, articulate young men. And actually, he's the reason why I started the, the Raising Kellen podcast. And he's like, well, let me help you in your podcast. I said, honey, no, I will teach you what you know, but you need to go on and do your own thing because you can make it on your own. You know what I mean? I mean, it's that kind of um, growth mindset, that kind of mentality that you're not working from that scarcity model, but rather than that abundance model. I love Stephen Col Colby, um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. That to me is the best read ever. And that's what we're here to do, Mary. We're not just here to have people do a job. I mean, we're here to, to nurture people to be their best, their best selves. And yes, we, we do need, we do need to earn a paycheck. I understand that. But I think to keep, to keep that workforce, keep your human resources engaged, there has to be growth and development because we're not meant to be stagnant. I mean, our minds are geared for change and for adaptation. I mean, that's just it. Yeah. I would say that if you're stagnating, you're actually losing, right? You're yeah, losing yeah, ground, yeah, right? Yeah. So Marcia, this is a good segue for you to tell us about your podcast. Um, thank you for asking me, Mary. The Raising uh, Kellen podcast is basically a podcast to empower and educate parents raising children with disabilities and or developmental delay. Uh, we cover a wide range of topics ranging from advocacy, advocacy in the, the medical healthcare field, as well as education. Um, we also talk about community. We talk about the models and language of disability. Um, how to answer um, Rose Reef is a licensed um, a mental health counselor that we have talked to and you know just offering parents advice on to how do you answer a question such as for example when you out and about and someone asking what is wrong with your child uh, but so how to answer questions like that tactfully purposefully and to be honest practice it so that you are comfortable with it as well and also talking about, we also talk about community. Representation is important. I think as parents, we want to kind of have an idea, what does my child, what are the pathways for my child? It's all about pathways, whether neural or actual, but it's what is my child, what does my child have to look forward towards? What are some of the possible ways for me to help encourage his development. And so we also delve into early intervention, the therapy toolbox, and any advice that we believe that would help a, uh, a parent uh, develop their skills and strategies towards maximizing their child's potential. So it's just, a, it's just an awesome resource. Honestly, it was things that I was looking at and um, I just didn't want I didn't want that knowledge to, to end at that point. I wanted to pass that on. And um, so it, it originally started off as a blog and has since then evolved into the podcast. And uh, so guys, if y'all are listening and if you or someone you know as a parent would benefit for the, uh, from this 
uh, information. Uh, the website, Mary, is www.raisingkellen, that's spelled K-E-L-L-A-N.org. And the podcast is available on Apple and Spotify under Raising Kellen. What a great resource for people. And thank you for putting that out, for helping um, parents and their children, their families. Absolutely. Uh, it's, as I said, it's all about empowerment. You know what, guys? It's, it's about that knowledge and it's about turning that knowledge into action. So right. it's, it's never about um, the little, the book I wrote that, that Mary is alluding to is called What I Wish I Knew Back Then. And the book ends with this is not the end. It's just the beginning. And that's exactly what it is. Right. As you said, not a sprint, but a marathon. It's right? not a sprint. It's a marathon. <laughs> so I like to end my podcast with advice, um, a vision for the future. And since you are a working mom with um, a special needs child and you talk to working parents all the time, and when we think about policies and workplaces that help us to be our best selves, what, what is your vision for uh, a healthy workplace that encourages all people, and that includes parents when they have children with disabilities or special needs. What do you think, what, what do you want for those workplaces that's going to have a big impact on those families, on those parents? I, I would say that, Mary, it really depends on what your skill set is prior to you having your child. So a lot of it would depend on, is there an option perhaps to work remotely during especially those early years where there's so many appointments and, you know, your child perhaps may be prone to be more ill um, than the later years. So I think those are the, the considerations that, I mean, as much as the last two years have been traumatic, honestly, it, it's given us a vision for a new workplace and a new way to work. And I think remote working for me personally is amazing because it's just opened up more chances to work, more chances to connect. I'm just not whole, you know, necessary hold up in a brick and mortar location, eight hours a day, five days a week. My network has expanded and, and so will yours too. So I think remote working is the new workplace is exciting. Yes, it is challenging, um, but I think it's definitely exciting and, and something that, that parents um, raising children with disabilities and developmental delay, I hope it's an option that they have available to them. And as far as the actual, as far as actual workplace, I think here again, it doesn't necessarily have to be directed towards parents raising children with disabilities. This is basically towards moms and dads raising children that, I mean, you know, we just, we ask for grace. Uh, you know, we ask for flexibility. That's it. Those are the two things that I, I, I the vision for the future, our future workplaces would be grace and flexibility. I love that. Grace and flexibility. I'm really interested in human human-centric workplaces, what, what needs to happen for anybody to flourish? And that's anybody, no matter where we are, what stage in life, grace and flexibility. 
And if we can extend that to others and it can be extended to us, what we could accomplish, right? The quality of our lives, of all of our lives. I'm going to post this in the the show notes, but this beautiful book that you wrote, I love the picture. It's a picture of you and your son smiling together. And it's, oh my gosh, it just makes me want to tear up how beautiful your son is and how happy you look on this cover. It's just beautiful. Thank you for all of your advocacy work. Um, on the behalf of those parents who are lost. And as your book says, what I wish I knew back then, I hope it finds the moms and dads who really need it. Mary, thank you so much for inviting me onto your podcast as well. Uh, It's a little bit daunting being on the other side of the mic. (laughs) However, this has been such an enjoyable experience. And um, as I said, uh, just a word of encouragement is that, you know, it's just one step at a time and always just, you know, visualize what it is that you want to actualize. So keep that mental picture first and foremost in front of you and you work uh, towards it just one step at a time. And if you would indulge me, I would like to just say a little something um, there's, there's, I would like to, to share with you my favorite quote, and that's Mahatma Gandhi. And he talks a lot about, you know, peaceful resolution. And he talks about, he talks a lot about seeking re- re- reconciliation. Oh my goodness. You know what I mean? So, yes, the reconciliation. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. <laughs> um, and, and nonviolence and, and using words rather than violence. And he always says, you know, be the change you want to see in the world. And the the second quote, um, and I I tend to in my podcast this way is, you know, just um, one step at a time, but always, you know, just one step at a time, but get to the top of your mountain, whatever that is. And um, that's it, Mary. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time today. You are so welcome. And I hope to see you soon. Thank you, Marsh, for being with us today and sharing your experiences and wisdom. I so appreciate your advocacy work, and I love your vision for the future of grace and flexibility. No matter where we are, we all want grace and flexibility extended to us. May we also extend it to others. Conflict Manage is produced by third-party workplace conflict restoration services. You can find them online at 3pconflictrestoration.com. I'm your host, Mary Brown. Our music is courtesy of Dove Pilot. And remember, conflict is normal and to be expected. Let's deal with it. Until next time, take care.